lovely dream last night. I told Gail about this morning. We, I was giving a talk someplace. I'd given a talk to this group two mornings in a row, and I didn't realize I was supposed to give it the third morning. And I had uh, forgotten my notes. And so I thought to myself, I'll just talk out of my love of the truth. And I woke up shortly after that with uh, the most beautiful feeling of peace. Many of you have felt this very, very deep yearning to go home. Possibly you have chosen A Course in Miracles or this church as your roadmap. Possibly you haven't. Possibly you just come here occasionally or this is your first time. We wish this to be a place that encourages you, gives you peace, and tells you that you can trust whatever road you pick. You can trust whatever words you use. You can trust whatever books seem to help you. Books do not have to have spiritual overtones in order for us to read them. Movies do not have to have a message in order for us to go see them. And many people on a spiritual path torture themselves with believing that everything must have spiritual overtones. Their job must have spiritual overtones. Their food must have spiritual overtones. Uh, somehow, uh, Basmati Brown uh, is, is more spiritual than Uncle Ben. <laughs> and there's this vague feeling of guilt if we, if we eat the Uncle Ben. Short grain white rice. <laughs> the path is <clears throat> enjoyment. And it's peace. It's simple comfort. And so if you lie in your bed and pick up a book, the only book you need is a book that gives you enjoyment and peace. A book that does not call to your ego and stirs you up so that you are preoccupied with it after you lay it down. If you go to a movie, it doesn't have to have a message. Let it be a movie that will not stay with you in some disturbing way, though. And you pick your food in peace. And the path is so very, very simple. It does not seem to be simple in light of our subject this morning, which is a continuation of last time, which is the crisis situation. Which we're talking about rapes and muggings and sudden deaths, divorce, addictions of various kinds, these, these sudden intrusions. But there is a way to get through even these kinds of situations, not necessarily happily, because I don't think that most of us are in a position, a spiritual position, a maturing position, to go through these kinds of things happily. 
but we can go through them with a with a relative degree of of ease and a minimum amount of disturbance and the whole thing can be cut quite short and that's why I have wished to talk about these sort of unusual disturbances to show that the truth that we speak of here can be applied to these things and when it is it makes these very rough spots a little less rough and not quite so long. Let me review briefly what we talked about last Sunday. We talked about how these crises seem to fall on us out of the sky. And that the truth that we in some way participate in this, that we in some way ask for this, is of little use until you have gone a very, very long way toward home. The very fact that you find or that you find yourself even scared of or you find even that this kind of thing is taking place around you with other people, the very fact that this is occurring indicates your and my inability to understand why it happened and what part we played in it. And so it is a truth, of course, that we ask for everything that happens to us and we receive as we have asked. But my experience is that this is a statement that's used primarily by the ego to cause mental conflict, to hold guilt deeply in our mind, to allow us to judge other people. And so my advice would be, as I mentioned last time, to forget trying to figure out why any of these kinds of things happen to you or to anyone else. Of course you won't be able to figure out why they happen. And as we said last time, it is always the question that disturbs us and not the answer. We look in the mirror in the morning and uh, we say, uh, mirror, mirror on the wall, am I fat? <laughs> <laughs> mirror says, uh, perhaps a little dumpy? <laughs> There's no answer to the question, you see, am I fat? There's no answer to the question that we ask when we look in the mirror. And, of course, we look in the mirror in order to ask a question, and it's a wonderful symbol. Because the ego and this whole world and our experiences within this world is all done with mirrors. It seems to be happening one place, but it's actually happening another place. This seems to be causing it, but the cause is actually over there. And then there's this constant shifting that takes place. That's why people stand in front of mirrors very long times, because there is no answer to the question that they are asking. <laughs> this is why they turn from side to side, perhaps even hold a hand mirror behind them to get the rear view also. <laughs> Still, the question can't be, can't be answered. This is clear, for example, with uh, anorexia nervosa. The person who is so thin that they are about to die thinks that they are fat. 
So it isn't the answer, is it, that is causing the problem. It is the question that is causing the problem. Am I fat? And the question makes them cut back and back and back. Another clear illustration of how it is always the question that disturbs us, never the answer, and that all you have to do is to put the question to rest however you may put it to rest. And so, for example, with assault, rape or mugging or that kind of thing, let's say this has happened to you. Let's say that you've been raped or that someone very close to you was beaten up or that you're beaten up within your home or that you beat someone else up. Now, of course, you're very afraid of this. This is now a reality. It didn't seem to be a part of the world, but now suddenly this is a part of the world. Will this happen again or will this happen to me is the question. Should I roll my windows up as I go through this part of the neighborhood, this part of the city? Would that be a good idea for me to roll my windows up? There is, of course, no answer to the question, is there? There's no way to answer that question. But the question is there. The question grates at us. The question causes us a disturbance. We are not walking home as long as we ask that question. And so you put the question to rest. Any way you want to put it to rest. And as I've mentioned so often, it's been my experience that people on a spiritual path limit their options and try to walk this very, very narrow, bitter, unhappy, unrelenting path. They will not allow themselves even the solutions that this world offers. So what do you do if, if this is a problem? If you're worried about this kind of thing, for whatever reason, maybe you don't even know why you're worried about it. Maybe there's no apparent cause. Maybe it was something that happened in your childhood and you can't even remember it now. You do anything. If you need to carry out, uh, did you all see the court jester, uh, Danny Kay? Um, <laughs> uh, but anyway, there's a place in the movie in which the witch tells him that he is the greatest swordman, swordsman who ever lived, you see. And uh, so the, the villain's name is Ravenhurst. And so having been uh, hypnotized into believing this, he pulls out his sword and he says, Ravenhurst, you rat catcher. I love those terms. <laughs> we don't have descriptions like that anymore. <laughs> you rat catcher. <laughs> Wear a sword you wish. Carry mace if you wish. Go to the self-defense class. You see, these are options that many people on a spiritual path will not allow themselves. Somehow this is not right. It's all right to run. Leave the poor person without your purse. They may have needed your purse, and you ran. <laughs> Maybe you screamed. You don't know. They may have had an ear problem. This may have hurt them. <laughs> you see, there is no... These silly questions we ask ourselves. Is it spiritual for me to take a self-defense course 
That's ridiculous. If it helps to put this question to rest, do anything. Change your diet. Take a vitamin that makes you into Superman or Superwoman. Go into therapy. Avoid certain places. Spoke about that last time. Anything at all, it makes no difference. There's an affirmation that helps. Use the affirmation. Do whatever you do because you notice that it causes a certain amount of peace. And notice when it ceases to cause that. Because so often, when we do turn to something within the world to give us a little aid, it gives only temporary aid. I'm sure you've noticed that uh, the latest cure for whatever uh, that you read about uh, National Enquirer. Of course, none of you read National Enquirer. I understand that. But the other churches read National Enquirer. <laughs> you can see them lined up there at the eight-item express lane, grabbing their National Enquirer. <clears throat> but there's always some cure. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that by the time you get to it, it doesn't work anymore? <laughs> but there's a period there of a few days or a few weeks or a few months in which it just works for everybody, and you hear people raving on and on about this wonderful cure. So don't be dismayed about that. Of course it's not going to work forever. What you want is the peace of God now. Use any expediency, any temporary measure, any quick fix that you need to, to leave your mind clean and free and still this instant. It is only this instant that we are learning about. There is something to learn, and it is this instant. How do I respond to this instant? What am I doing with this instant? That is, that is the thing there is to learn. We do not believe that this instant exists. I kid you not. You start out not believing in the existence of the present. It is a hypothetical something. And so you begin to turn more and more to the present. You begin to bring your mind back to the present. And you begin learning what, is, what occupies this space called now. This, this trite thing that everybody talks about. That's the only thing there is to learn, how to respond to now. And always your ego will give you a reason for procrastinating, being happy and being relaxed, and having the peace of God this instant. Always there will be some argument as to why it's not quite the right time. Another thing that we talked about last time, was another truth that the ego loves to misuse, which is it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that uh, the aphids are eating my aloe vera plant. I, it was going to give me an entirely new complexion, this aloe vera plant, <clears throat> and the aphids have a right to it also. And it doesn't matter. You stare at the aphids every time you walk past the plant. Your eyes now, slightly in your breath, becomes more rapid. <laughs> Don't kid yourself. Of course it matters that the aphids are eating the aloe vera plant. 
ego will say to you, should I let the aphids eat the aloe vera plant? There is no answer to that question. Do you know if this is good for their little systems? <laughs> so you do whatever you have to do. Maybe you buy a second aloe vera plant and let them have that one. <laughs> and this one you keep on top of the refrigerator so it's so, so slick they can't climb up. <laughs> now, it doesn't have to be perfect either. That's the other end of the coin. You see, a lot of people don't go to AA because it's not perfect. It's very good, though. I know you've heard me tell the story, and those of you who attend the Science of Mind Church, have, I know I've heard Carol tell the story of how she drank a fifth of vodka every night trying to become an alcoholic so she could attend AA. <laughs> and she kept forgetting to drink it. And after a long time, she gave it up because she recognized what a good program it is. It doesn't matter if it's perfect. Of course you can find fault with it. But does it help a little? That's the question. If it helps, use it. We talked last time about cutting back on what we do. That's all that needs to be thought about. You just cut back on what you do. This is a wonderful thing to go through the day with, just seeing if there's any place you can cut back on what you usually do. You are a born futzer and putterer. Notice this. Notice how much time you spend worrying and futzing and puttering and not doing anything about it, whatever the current it is. See if you can cut back on the ways in which you spin around in neutral. Maybe there's some big things you can cut back on. But don't be afraid to cut back on the little things. This is another principle that helps in a crisis. And I'll talk in a moment about how to apply these more specifically to, to these uh, subjects. And then we also talked about not taking risks. Now, of course, there are two kinds of risks. You can take a risk with peace. You can take a risk with not worrying about the thing. Uh, Gail and I have evidently offended one of our friends. This is apparent by her very strident voice when we uh, <laughs> talk to her on the phone, uh, which is not as often now. <laughs> and the fact that she looks away uh, when we pass her in the car and uh, waves like this. <laughs> now, we, we did spend a few seconds trying to figure out what we had done and realized that there was no way to figure out what we had done. Now that we go, had another question ready. Should we call her up and ask her what we did to offend her? Well, with this particular person, there is no way of determining that because she is a person who would not tell you. Do you know people like that? They're, they're not going to tell you. 
they will always say, no, of course you didn't do anything. Uh, and so the problem remains unsolved. Now, let me tell you what I had to do to stop thinking about this, because this is a very old friend. Isn't it interesting how these old, old friendships that the ego thinks are so sacred because we've spent all this time with this person. Suddenly this kind of thing can happen and you have no idea what's causing it. And now here's this person who you're supposed to have been good friends with for years and years and years. And now they're not your friend anymore. <coughs> and maybe you know the, what may be the cause and maybe you don't. But when you step back and look at the cause, it doesn't make any sense, does it? Friends for 15 years? And what? What did you say or what did you fail to do? You see, so many of these friendships that we try to honor, but at the moment are not helping us, are not really deep friendships. And these kinds of friendships that most of us form in the beginning, which is a sort of a, uh, a hundred years war. It's a, a mild hundred years <coughs> war that we both, everybody agrees to engage in. So many of these will not withstand any stress at all. They just break apart at the slightest stress whether the stress is intended or not intended. But it distresses us greatly to have this happen. At least if you're like me, it's extremely distressing for me to see this happen. Somehow I thought there was more there. And so my ego said, this is an excellent thing for you to think about. Should you call so-and-so? Well, there was no answer to that. And I kept telling myself there was no answer to it. But the, my ego kept bringing up arguments as to why it might be all right. Because I could argue that it might make things worse. Argue it that it might make things better. <coughs> I had no clear sense that I should do this at all. But in fact, every time I thought with any clarity about it all or any depth, I thought, no, I should not do this. This would not be a good thing to do. but then my ego would come back. The way I had to solve it was, I couldn't dismiss it by saying, I will simply not think about it. Every time this person comes to my mind, I will bless them. And then if I receive clear guidance, and all of you know what that feels like. This doesn't, there's no magic to guidance. It is a very calm, happy nudge. And it, you don't resist it. It makes you happy. The thought makes you happy. The timing is just right. There's no question about it. You do it. If you are guided, you act. Don't worry about whether or not you're being guided and failing to act. That's not a possibility. When you are being guided, that which guides you knows you better than you know yourself. And is not going to ask you to do something that you are not capable and willing of doing, of doing. Now, it may be that a guidance will come over a long period of time. It may be that you will be urged to do this particular thing very gently and sweetly 
And this may go on for days or weeks or months or even years before you respond to it, but you will respond to it. So don't worry if the timing's right or did you miss it as if, it, as if this was some revolving door and that you had to get in just at the right minute. No such thing. There are no minutes and there is no right time. We're just walking home and the path is also broad also peaceful and there are a thousand ways to enter home not just one revolving door so I realized that I could not dismiss it in that way and so the thing that I did was I said well I will simply ask myself every time this I find myself thinking about this question should I call so-and-so I will ask myself, do I wish to call so-and-so now? And if I do not want to now, I will stop thinking about it now, and I will bless them now. And that worked, because it was in the present. Because you can always act in the present, because your strength is in the present. Because uh, this particular insight came to me when I was in the bathtub. And uh, a ludicrous thought, I know, but uh, <laughs> even more ludicrous if you've been to El Gancho and see me dive into the swimming pool. <laughs> uh, but the answer was, I did not want to get out of the tub right at that moment and go make the call. That was very clear. There was, I had no difficulty doing, uh, deciding that, you see. And so I turned and blessed the individual. So don't wonder if you're doing it right. Just go ahead and do it. Go ahead and bring your mind to peace. Make yourself happy. Make yourself comfortable. Let yourself enjoy your walk home. Now, there is no right way to do it. Any way that occurs to you to do it is the right way. If it doesn't work and you try something else, that's the right way. We say that, and yet... And this is especially a disturbing thought sometimes to people who have suffered a crisis or in the midst of a crisis. And yet there is this pattern, this beautiful something to everyone's life. Maybe you've seen that about your own or about another person's life. There is this thing of it all somehow working together a beauty and a timeliness to everything that happens. Not so that you end up in such and such a position, president of the company or something like that, but a gentle molding. Now, we, we say, well, how can that happen? This world is chaotic, crazy. It can't be figured out. That's why it disturbs us to try to. The ego thinks that this is a very logical world. And that it's very reasonable. We can think about it in a reasonable way, but of course we can't. It's purely insane. The world's absolutely crazy. Here we are in the world, and we're crazy. And we know that. Our friends certainly know that. <laughs> and so, these things happen and so forth. So how can you say there's a pattern to it? There's a pattern to it because there's something beside this world. Because everything that you did, every turn that you took in the road, 
every imaginary stop sign for which you came to a screeching halt was anticipated, if you wish to think of it in that way, but it was indeed blessed. Even though you turned off here, something curved that road around. Oh, uh, Melton Erickson uh, tells a wonderful story about uh, when he was a teenager. He's coming home from high school, and uh, he's with some other people, and uh, a horse ran by with just a bridle on. Obviously, he had got, gotten loose because uh, the farmer's uh, place where he was near, uh, that farmer said that this was not his horse, and there the horse was. So, Milton Erickson, as, as the teenager, jumped on the horse and took up the reins and started riding toward the highway, which is very near. He knew that the horse knew the way home. He didn't know the way home, but he took it to the highway. And then when he got to the highway, the, the horse turned in a particular direction. And then all he did as the horse went along is that the horse got distracted by something, obviously was distracted and started wandering off. He would just very gently show at the highway again. And pretty soon, the horse turned into uh, another farmer's uh, place. And the farmer said, oh, there you are. How did you know how to get to my place? Because he'd never seen Milton Erickson before. And he said, I didn't know how to get here, but the horse did. All I did is keep his attention on the road. And this has been a theme in uh, all of Milton Erickson's teaching, which is that we do not know what's best for the client all we do is keep their attention on the road. The road is the peace of God. The road is your present happiness. The road is your comfort and your goodwill. The road is your kindness and your longing to be of help. That's the road. A good teacher, a good therapist, a good friend, a good parent merely puts the person's attention on the road and all the details as to how fast you go down the road, or do you go down the road on the right hand or the left-hand side, and all those kinds of things <coughs> is left up to the person. And they will get home. So let me finish the general principles that we were talking about in a crisis before I go into uh, these things in detail. And it may take still another... Sunday to do this because I don't want to pass over something that's causing someone a tremendous amount of grief. We talked a little bit last time about how never use guilt to try to motivate someone. I've seen this mistake made so many times when people are counseling someone who's suicidal. They try to make them feel guilty. They, try, they ask them questions like, well, what do you think this is going to do to your children? What do you think they're going to think about this? This will have a temporary effect, but as we said last time, because it comes from the ego, it will have no permanent effect. There's no love in it. There's no peace, no confidence, no surety in it. And so although you may get a, a temporary behavioral change to do this, 
this is of no use to you. And so why use something that's only temporary? Here you have a chance to motivate the person in a way that will be truly helpful and lasting. So use it. We often do this to ourselves. We try to make ourselves scared or make ourselves guilty in order to change our behavior. So we have this addiction or we have this particular character trait. Maybe we're the person who's beating up the spouse. We, whatever the thing may be, we have this, and so we, there's, there's this sort of a angry voice that we cultivate in which we tell ourselves what a bad person we are, that we would uh, cheat on our income tax, or whatever the thing may be. It doesn't matter whether it seems to be a little thing or a big thing, or the person gave us too much change back at the store and we didn't say a word about it. Just put that change in our pocket. And now we think, we side with this angry voice, thinking that this will change us into a better person. The problem is the valuing of attack. That, of course, is the problem with all these things. It is especially good to understand this, though, in something like alcoholism or suicide, where there appears, where the, where the, where the, the person's own involvement is more obvious, where their own decisions are more clearly playing a role. And so let's say this is, you have got something that you're trying to get rid of. You're sleeping too much or you're not doing a good job at the office or whatever the thing may be. Do not side with the angry voice because to do that you value attack and attack is the whole problem. The value of attack is the problem. And so the person who is suicidal values attack. That's the mistake they're making. If you attack them in order to help them, you are showing them only that you also value attack. Guilt is the problem. Guilt is a form of attack. If you try to make them feel more guilty to give up their drinking, or their raping, or whatever it is that you've come across, child molesting, or whatever the thing may be, don't you see that you are saying to them, I too believe in attack? Because I'm trying to make you feel bad. I'm trying to hurt your feelings. I'm trying to evoke remorse within you. And you will do that if you do that to yourself. So never side with the angry voice within you. Never criticize yourself. This is not the way home. It is of no use to you, to you as a therapist. And it's of no use to you in your own progress. Be gentle with yourself. Say, yes, I've made a mistake, I will begin again, and I will begin again right now. And begin again. All that needs to happen is that you see the mistake, and you go on. I think what I'll do is just go right ahead into these subjects specifically, uh, and I think the rest of these points will be covered as I do that. Let me just finish up with the salt. We've talked a little bit about that. It's interesting, we had another deacon slide off the road on Tano Road. <laughs> Still another one. Uh, now, it's interesting, and probably everyone here has had this happen, where suddenly you're heading into the other car, or your car's out of control, and you're spinning around. Have you noticed the sense of peace you have if it is totally out of your hands? 
you know, you're going off the road and there's nothing you can do about it, and you say, hmm, isn't this interesting? Uh, <laughs> the answer is very simple. Your mind is completely in the present, and when your mind is in the present, you somehow know there is nothing to fear. It's just interesting how they will find the body. <laughs> you sort of musingly and quite relaxedly think about this as the car goes over the cliff. Now, this is so helpful that you can use this if you wish, and I know it's much easier to say this than it is to do it, but still I'm trying to give something that might help. If you're getting beaten up and you don't know what to do because there seems to be a way out at the moment, because if there's no way out, you'll just go ahead and get beaten up and it'll be all right. But usually it's there's something you think you can be doing, at least as you see the attack coming on, you think there's something you can be doing, and the mind starts swimming around and casting about and so forth, trying to think of what you should do. Should I say this? Should I do this? Should I run for the room? Should I pick up this? Should, what should I do? Of course, there's no answer. There's no answer to any of those questions. You don't know what the effect will have. And so if you simply start describing the scene to yourself, as we've talked about so many times here, this severs you from your past, and it's your past from which the emotional pain is coming, if not the physical pain. It's actually the place where the physical pain is coming from, but that's so difficult to see that I wouldn't even worry about it. But you'll see this statement of truth in many expositions of truth. All pain is a memory. All pain is, it comes from your past. It is not actually taking place in this moment. And so, of course, one of the little exercises that you probably all have heard of for ridding your body of a pain is to watch the pain, describe the pain, tell yourself how large the pain is, how many drops of water it would take to put in a bottle to come to the size of the pain, what color is the pain, where is the pain now, what's it doing, in what way is it moving. Anything you do like that tends to uh, make the pain start to go away. Depending on how severe it is or how much fear is involved, the pain will begin to dissipate a little bit with that kind of exercise. Once again, it's your bringing your mind into the present that is causing a severing of the connections with the past and a slight lessening of the pain. So I would say that if you are a battered woman, or if you are a man who is in a situation where you're likely to get beaten up in this particular job or hanging out with these particular people, or you've got a, a, a very rough neighborhood or situation that you must periodically go through, and this is a fear. It is my experience that people respond more helpfully in a way that cuts the attack short or makes it a milder attack if instead of casting about trying to figure out what they should do or remembering what they last heard on some talk show as to what you should do in this situation, if they will just become as still as they can become, keep their mind in the present as much as they can, because of course they can't completely, that then there is a, an almost beneficent instinct that takes place. Your actual instinct for survival and keeping yourself undamaged become, comes into play. 
Because as long as your mind is stirred up and whipping around, you cannot feel this gentle guidance, if you wish to call it, instinct, gut feeling, <coughs> knowing, that might make the attack a little less severe. That might keep it just a rape rather than a rape murder. Do not fear the present. Do not fear bringing your mind back to this. But I'll tell you this, unless you practice this on other less dramatic occasions, you will not turn to that. You will turn to the casting about and trying to figure out what you should do. You'll try silly things, you see, and that won't work and it'll discourage you. I've told you the story, maybe I should repeat it here, of the uh, FBI agent, a woman who I met in Atlanta, who was practicing this kind of stillness, and she had had some training in it. She had been a student of A Course in Miracles, and A Course in Miracles gives you training in this if you do the lessons. And the thing that she found herself doing, and never heard of anyone doing it before, was telling the rapist, I love you, I forgive you, God loves you, God forgives you. This just came out of her mouth. And as I told you before, the rapist couldn't get an erection. <laughs> <laughs> he got very disgusted and walked away. And all of his other victims had been severely beaten up. Now, I'm not saying that if you turn your mind to the present, you're not going to get beaten up. I'm saying that it will help. If you were disciplined enough that you could put your mind wholly in the present, you would not get beaten up, but you're not in a position to do that. I'm not either. But it'll help. Once again, don't spend time asking yourself, why did I get raped? Why did I get beaten up? Why did I marry this person? That will be of no used to you. We've mentioned do anything you need to to rid yourself of the thought of this, that this occurred. This is not denial. So here's what you do. If you wish a little exercise in this kind of thing, if there's an extremely painful thing like this that's happened to you, or it, you think is going to happen to you, because this, can, this is really the same thing. The ego doesn't care whether it's happened or it's going to happen. If it's real in your mind, that's all the ego wants. And so maybe you have an image of how this is going to happen to you. And this is what you go over. This is the same thing as whether or not it actually did happen to you and you're going over and over this picture. Look at the picture in detail. Very calmly, sit down. Every time this thought comes to you, sit down. Break with the situation where you are, if it's at all feasible. And see how important it is to you so that you will break with situations that you would not ordinarily break with. And look at the picture. Do not be afraid to see what the ego is giving you to terrify you. It uses a picture to scare you. And if you will look at the picture, just your looking at it will begin to rid your mind of a little of the fear that's attached to it. It isn't quite as scary if you will look at it. So look at it in detail. How is this going to take place? Now the first thing you will discover is your ego doesn't know. 
it doesn't it isn't even sure exactly how it took place if it seemed to happen to you don't be afraid of this this doesn't mean you're crazy you're simply noticing how the ego operates did it actually happen this way or did such and such a thing happen as you go back and look at the, at the assault you look at it in detail you see each aspect of it as innocent it's just what happened go back and look at the person and think to yourself what might they have gone through because I can tell you they have gone through something awful if they're going around raping or beating up people I can tell you they went through something very very awful and if you could go back and see what they went through you would feel this release within you you would not condemn them so you do not tell yourself that somehow their behavior is acceptable I hope this point is clear do not tell yourself that what your friend said to you or what the person in the store or the businessman that is your competitor did or what your parents did when you were three or any don't tell yourself that that's acceptable see it as innocent you see the difference the difference is it's just the way it happened it couldn't have happened any other way it's just this person who went through this particular thing and that's the way they're responding given their particular ego strength at this time that's the way it's happening it's just like you don't get mad at the car because it turned over as you're trying to bank the corner that's the way the car was made the wheelbase is is so wide and at a certain speed it turns over that's the truth of this human being that you're looking at they had no choice at that moment they always have a choice now but they had no choice then and so you see it is innocent you see the clothes the person was wearing is innocent you see the tone of voice that they used you see anything about it that comes to your mind you just say oh that's a tone of voice oh that's just a shirt oh that's just a whatever the thing is you see so first of all you look at the image it's very ugly it may be something extremely ugly such as finding your child dead but when you are strong enough and when you feel ready to do this go back and do not be afraid to look at the image of your child dead and you come across your child and there your child's dead now when you're strong enough to do this and I have heard this a hundred times and you go back and you look at it the same thing will be there that was there when your car went off the road there was a moment of peace when you first saw the child dead you were you were in the present and somehow you understood it for just a second it was long enough that the memory is still there don't hunt for it if you can't find it I said that I've heard that a hundred times but I'm sure that there are people who cannot do that but just notice it if you notice it it was there if it was there it was there then the terror came why 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 is my child dead and maybe there was a frantic attempt to do something 
You look at it. You look at your frantic attempt. You look at everything you did. You look at all of your questions. It's why didn't you do this? You should have done this. Why did you do this other thing? Don't you know that this is useless? You look at that. You did what you did. And once you have done this, looked at it, seen every aspect of it as innocent, and as I say, wait until you feel good about doing this. Wait until you have a certain amount of strength. Wait until this is not just one more thing you're trying in desperation, but you really wish to do this. Then, after you have done that, and you've done it once or twice, or maybe three times, then you decide to do something else when your ego presents you with that picture. And one of the simplest things to do is to surround the child in light, to surround the attacker in light, to surround your former husband in light, to surround yourself in light as you beat up this person. You just surround yourself, you surround the victim in light. You just bless them. You say any simple words you wish to, and your decision is to do that. Because you do not have to continue honoring this picture once you have looked at it <coughs> and received all that you can receive from it, and you know when you received about all you can receive from this picture. You know now the well is dry. There is nothing else to think about. And so you say, I wish to go on with my life now. And so you make a decision to put that picture to rest. That is not suppression. That is honoring your strength and is honoring your decision to continue your walk home. It is very interesting that Jesus did not stop the attacks upon him. And it's very interesting that the Christian teaching, teaching has been taken now and has been made into a, an injunction that we should have been able to stop the attack. He did not stop the crowd from throwing the stones. He did not stop the people from putting him up on the uh, cross, from driving the nails, from running him through, or from a hundred other things. He made no attempt to stop those. You were not called upon to stop it. You were not somehow supposed to do some magical something with your mind that would have kept this from happening. If you had been as close to relinquishing your ego as Jesus was, you would not have stopped it. There is no guilt for it having happened. Does it, does it make this man guilty that he did not stop the attacks? Of course not. So be gentle with yourself. 
be gentle with those to whom it has happened. This indicates nothing about their progress or when they will awaken or how far along they are. It's just something that happened. And all teachings of truth tell us it is of no more or less importance than anything else that happens. We're the ones in our judgment and our condemnation that builds this into some sort of gigantic denunciation of this other person or their character or their lifestyle. It means none of that. Okay, alcoholism. I've just got a few minutes, so I'll just be able to get into this just a little bit. Am I an alcoholic? We talked about that last time. No answer to that question. Put the question to rest. Don't try to answer it. Let me suggest something. If you'd like to do this. If you think you have a drinking problem. Or a dope problem. Or a tranquilizer problem. Whatever it may be. Set up three chairs. Two of them are for the opposing sides that are currently taking place in your mind on this subject. There is an argument going on in your mind about this. If there is no argument in your mind about it, then you don't have to think about it. Just go ahead and drink 26 cups of coffee every day. It's perfectly all right. If it's not disturbing you, and, and you're, then, then that's just fine. But it would be very difficult for it not to be disturbing you with all the talk that you hear about this. So whatever it is, you sit down. I'm just making this a suggestion. This is another form of looking. This is another form of stillness. This is another form of gaining clarity. It's when we become simple-minded and clear that we begin walking around these problems. And so you sit down and you put the two sides of yourself in two of the chairs. The third chair is the recording secretary. Now, the issue at hand is, how will I put the question of, do I drink too much coffee? Or am I a junkie? Or whatever the thing may be, how do I put that question to rest? And so, you sit down in one chair, and you state one position, and then you get up, and you state the other position back. You just carry on a little conversation with yourself, going back and forth between the chairs writing this little dialogue, getting this argument out in the open where you can hear it and look at it. So you're simply taking the argument that's in your head and you're putting it in the chairs. You're dividing it into two positions and you go back and forth in the chair. Now, every once in a while, you come to a point in which you ask yourself, would I like to try such and such? Because I'm not sure if I am an alcoholic and so maybe this is just a severe social drinking problem and what maybe I'd like to try something. And so the recording secretary, you sit in the recording secretary, there's a little pad of paper, you write down a prescription for yourself, what you are going to try to bring this question to rest, because you're not yet ready to go to AA or to Hazleton in Minnesota or a hundred other places. You're not yet ready to do that, and so you sit down and you write yourself a prescription. I will not drink more than three drinks 
this I think I can do, and I will enjoy that, and so forth. And I will not go to a situation more than twice a week in which I have to drink any drinks, whatever it may be. I'm not suggesting that. Anything that you wish to do. I will pause before I take each drink, each sip of the drink, and I will ask myself, do I truly wish to take this sip of the drink? This is okay to do. Looks a little peculiar, but it works. You just sit there and you, you say, you see, there are some people who can drink. There's no doubt about that. There's some people who can drink, and they, it's just like there's some people who can eat without, without going on and on and on and on about it. So they have a cutoff point. They have a point beyond which they know it will not be pleasant for them to drink past this particular point. And so that's what you want to begin listening to. So maybe your plan is that you will listen for just a second or two and ask yourself, do I wish, the re do I wish to take this next, next drink? Do I wish to order this next beer? And the beer comes there, do I wish to take the first sip? And you're just watching. You're just very, very, without any judgment, Without any diatribe against yourself, you instill a certain stillness and watching. And the recording secretary writes this plan out on a piece of paper, and then you see if you can follow it. And maybe you do this two or three times, and if you cannot follow your own suggestions, then seek help. It's okay to seek help. Seek it in any form you wish. AA will teach you how to seek help. It will teach you how to turn it over to God without ever using the word God. You will sometimes hear the word God used, but very often you won't. It will teach you how to ask for help. And it's okay to ask for help. All right. What I'd like to do... Uh, continue with this next time. I'd like to talk to you a little bit about how to counsel an alcoholic, and I'd like to talk to you a little bit about how to counsel someone who's suicidal. We'll talk a little bit about that, and then also we're going to talk about death and divorce, which are very, very similar. It's interesting. Uh, the, the effect that it has on the individual who's been left by what they thought was their best friend, or their best friend dies is very, very similar, so we'll, we'll talk about those things. And I hope to talk about them in a general enough way that you can apply this to something else besides just these specific subjects. So let me end with this. Be a character. Don't be afraid to be a character. Be a little eccentric. Take the risk in that way. Be a peace nut. Be a be a. Uh, don't be afraid to be kind. Does it really matter that someone mistakes your kindness for weakness? Does that really matter? It will not give you a happier ego life to walk a spiritual path because your kindness will be mistaken for weakness. And does it matter? Of course not. You know that it's kindness. At least you know it's an attempted kindness. 
your life simpler? Are you going out less? Of course, that will be misunderstood by some people. You're not being responsible. You're not going to the meeting. We missed you at the meeting. <laughs> be at peace. Be happy. Follow this river of peace that's in your heart. Don't be afraid to try things to hear it more closely. Do not be afraid to, to eliminate disturbances. Do not be afraid to see the ridiculous things that call to your particular ego. Don't be afraid to walk around them. Don't be afraid to save yourself time. Don't be afraid to think what it might be like to join those people who have relinquished their egos laid aside their bodies and are here in a completely natural way to help everyone. They ask no credit. They come as the Christ or they come as your guide or they come as a thought and it does not matter. Think what it would be like to have goodwill towards everyone and to reach out and help anyone at any time. You deserve peace. It is your inheritance. It's where you came from.